Okay, so today, again, we're going to go back into the judicial system or America's judicial system, but of course we're going to take some side notes. Sometimes I think it's just a little boring straight talking about a particular subject without adding a little, you know, flavor to it. When I'm working on my computer or my phone, I have these uh, little pop-ups that will suddenly pop up on the screen, you know, little notations. Sometimes they're about news, sometimes they're about health, and sometimes I actually click on them, you know. But there was a story that popped up, um, which was interesting. I don't remember what it was, but... The bottom line was, oh, I know what it was. It was an actress that had moved to another country or something, and she was talking about the laws regarding being married and so on and so forth. And in this particular country, uh, she had put a note down there that you don't have to be married to have children, and people don't point it out, and so on and so forth. And and like I said, this has nothing to do with the uh, judicial system. And, but then again, it does when it comes to separation and divorce and the rights and visitation rights of the children, etc., etc. But she said that um, it's very common. People don't need to get married if they have children and so on and so forth. And I was, I was reading it just briefly. Thinking about all the people that went before back in my mother's day, because my mother was born in 20-something. My father was born in 20-something, too. And, you know, back in those times, you had to be married to have a child, or you were scorned, and, and that goes back even way before that. And people didn't live together. It was called back then shacking up and you were looked down on, and so on and so forth. And, you know, that's one of those things that I'm actually glad is gone. I mean, not the institution of marriage, but the fact that, again, individuality is important in this life. So that women and men don't have to be afraid, you know, of being... Um, in a situation that's unpleasant or unhealthy for them or their children. And I'm, I, in a way, I, I sort of agree with that. And uh, that brought me actually to an old memory that I had about this movie. <laughs> for some reason, I guess it was the talking about the married people or the right to have children. I don't know what it was, but you know, sometimes uh, something, particular verbiage will trigger a memory, and it triggered a memory, and I had a revelation about this old movie that I had seen as a child. Now, I have to admit, I'm, I'm all kinds of stupid, okay? I, I don't mean intellectually, but I don't or didn't pay attention to a lot of things going on in life as I was growing older. You know, I'm since I'm not a racist, I didn't observe the fact that racism existed. You know, since I don't care what color you are, I just assumed that as an intelligent human being, that that was just a given. 
Of course, we've, we've all, we know since this name of the podcast is Born Black, I've learned my lesson about that, right? So there was this movie as a little girl that I, I watched. And I, I, again, it eluded me as to why that movie bothered me. Now, I do vaguely remember asking my mother at that time, like, <laughs> I can still hear myself asking her. It was like, are they supposed to be black? So let me let me go into detail what the movie was. It was called uh, Something of the Apes, okay? And you had uh, these gorillas and apes <laughs> that were chained up and uh, slaves uh, originally. But for some reason, through evolution, the gorillas and apes had taken over the world, okay? Now, they tried to camouflage it. It was the gorillas and apes versus humans. And actually, before I, I found out a little bit more about that particular actor, and this was in the original one. This is, this is back in the, the, probably in the 60s, right? Before I found out, uh, the political beliefs about this particular actor, I had been moved by his performance, says. Uh, the movie went into details about how these gorillas and apes had intellectually advanced from their original stages of being uh, slaves than house pets to taking over the world, basically. And I know that 99% of you know which movie I'm talking about. As a child, when they showed the gorillas, the chimpanzees, and the apes, I remember asking my mother, though, I just, I couldn't get it out of my mind. Like, are they representing us, black people? And I don't know what she said and brushed it off and it went away. And yet every time I would see those movies, it would bother me on a, on a level I couldn't explain. I mean, they're entertaining movies, you know, but I never really loved them that much because I don't really like gorillas and apes and monkeys that much, or chimpanzees. So, hmm. <laughs> but that wasn't the point. The point was, for some reason, uh, this article that I was reading uh, or popped up online about the marriage and so on and so forth not being promiscuous and things that they don't recognize for some reason that movie came back to my memory and it was like a conumptuous i had this revelation it was like now i get it i think that that movie and those movies were and you, you have to bear in mind too because all the humans were not black people there weren't any black people in the humans they were all one particular race 
And I think that the person that created that movie and wrote that story was trying to say something very subtly that is the foundation of a fear that exists in non-black people. The fear that they will uprise and overtake the country and the world. So let me clarify on that. In, in the movies, the gorillas, the monkeys, the apes, the chimpanzees ruled the world. And they started out in a, a position of being enslaved, tortured, and so forth and so on. Very, very synonymous with the black race and other people of color. But they persevered. And according to the movie, they were supposed to have evolved. I think that was a reflection on having acquired educational capabilities. And as an end result, they ended up enslaving and imprisoning the human race, which I think represents, since everyone in the human race in those movies were of non-colored origin, I think that uh, it was an expression of a fear that exists in people that are not of color. That the black race, along with other non... Uh, well, the black race, along with other people of color, would eventually take over the world, take over the society make people that were of non-color obsolete. I guess that's sort of like the Hitler syndrome, right? I mean, wasn't that the reason behind his effort for extermination? Eradication? I mean, I feel that America and its judicial system and the laws and the behavioral patterns of society, and it's, it's not just in America, is set up to eradicate people of color, just like in that movie. And I remember him saying, you know, this actor, he said, you damn dirty gorilla. And I used to laugh about it. Yeah, because I don't like gorillas or chimpanzees or monkeys. I don't like any any of those. And they, you know, I don't, you know, they're not like a pet dog or a cat to me. I just don't like that particular life form. And um, I used to laugh. But for some reason, this article that popped up sort of like set off a light bulb in my head. I'm like, you know? I think I get it now. He was trying to portray by these movies some of their deepest fears. Now, it may have been unintentional, or it may actually have been intentional. I don't know. I don't know who wrote them. I don't know who produced them. I just know that by the storyline, it represented 
the fears that people of non-color hold. It's like they are afraid. That we will rise up and take control. Take over. Now, we already discussed uh, interdimensional people, which is your people that are of um, mixed heredity. Instead of saying interracial, I don't really like the word I, I say the main times. I think interdimensional sounds marvelous. <laughs> so, if they have this fear, and they can't just come right up to us and exterminate us, like others have done in history, what better way to get rid of us than use the judicial system? as a method to keep us in place. And they do. What one person walks away from, a person of color or a black person will be penalized for. I've watched it over and over and over again. Now, if I were to summarize the um, people that work in the judicial system or the judicial system itself, uh, I would say, imagine, um, there was that horror movie, what is it called? Uh, Somebody's Nightmares. And when they described uh, the father of him, it was like, you know, everybody in this insane, insane asylum that had violated his mother so if you get a big cauldron one of those witches cauldron and threw all the people that participated in his conception in the pot if you threw you know voyeurs in that pot sadist in that pot racist in that pot people that are insane just throw them all in the pot put them all in that big pot together egotistical maniacs, just throw them in there too. And you mix them all up together really well, mix them real well. Then basically what you will end up with is the American judicial system and the people that work in it. Yes. Now, there was a time, and I, I also covered this before, where you went into a particular profession based on what you wanted to do to help someone, for example. I know. That's old school. Yeah, and like I said, you wanted to be a doctor. You wanted to save lives. You wanted to help people. I have to give a kudos, by the way, to our doctors and nurses and people in the medical uh, profession because I have noticed that some of that old school behavior is still a part of why they are a doctor. So they are actually, they actually have been helping. They've been helping people. They've been 
attempting to save lives and so on and so forth. That great personal sacrifice, I might add. Because there are times when no matter what that pay is, it just doesn't cover it. And in their particular situations, I would have to say that's true. So you have the doctors that are in the medical field to save lives. And again, as I pointed out, that is old school. You know, the dentist wants people to keep teeth in their mouth and be healthy and not have bacteria, just so on and so forth. But a lot of those values, why people get into a field, as I said before, have been lost by a lot of professions. And that would cover our judicial system. I'm trying to think which part of the group, you know, the leaders in school, you had your techies and your lesbians and and your athletes and so on and so forth in high school, which divided people into these a separate group being um, of similar likes and dislikes. And uh, I'm trying to think which group actually covered our politicians or police and our, our uh, people that are involved in that type of leadership or control mechanism. I'm trying to think of the group and who they were. You know, who was the class president and, and who was the one that would be security for the prom and so on and so forth. And I have to tell you, honestly, even even as a young person, they were not pleasant people. Yeah. That, oh, that's what they had. They had the, um, back when I was growing up, they had the, uh, I think it was called ROC or something, where they would uh, have these pretend studied military type uh, situations where they could enroll in being in the militia somehow. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. What is your goal when you become a police officer? What is your goal? Now, if doctors save people, dentists, and so on, and children, you know, pedia, pediatricians, and. What is your goal when you become a police officer or a judge or a senator or a congressman? What is your goal exactly? I can't see it. I mean, if they're supposed to be trying to help people, no, that's not what they do. Basically, from what I can discern after decades, is that they're there to be in control, take charge. What is their noble purpose? I mean, in any job, you have a noble purpose to do your, your job to the best of your capabilities. Even if you're a bagger at a grocery store, you want to make sure that you can get as many things as you can in that bag or... Like I said, if you're a podiatrist or a pediatrician or a dentist or whatever your job is, if you drive a truck, you know, to get your deliveries on time, but what noble cause does a police officer in the political field and the judicial system have? As far as I can see, nothing. They are there for one purpose and one purpose only. 
to control, to dictate. And a lot of them, and I've, as I've mentioned before, about especially uh, with judges, they, they have their own personal agenda. You know, it's just that simple. Their personal agenda. It's not as though I don't I don't feel that they are there to provide what they're supposed to do, which is justice. And I don't think they have that capability. I think their personal agenda overrules everything that should be part of their job description. And I feel that their personal agenda has nothing to do with any type of morality or decency. Because if it did, we wouldn't be in the state we are here in this country. If our police officers were there to help, serve, and protect, I wouldn't need this podcast. If our judges administered the laws that, quote-unquote, have become a part of our constitutional rights, I wouldn't, I wouldn't need this podcast. And you wouldn't need to be listening. Anyway, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. And we are, I promise, going strictly and directly into more about our judicial system.